Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, go start for you, go start for you, go start for everyone. Right, let's go. Hi guys, welcome to episode 27 of Slaughter. If I'm talking super fast, it's because we're about to go to the podcast awards and we've got like an hour and a half to record this. I'm so sorry, bye. <laughs> Someone got murdered. <laughs> if you were worried about spoilers, sorry. Not always a murder, to be fair. True, we definitely don't put ourselves in that box. More of a tetrahedron mm. of crime. Yeah. Right, so on that note, <laughs> I'm going to start off. I'm looking at a guy, John William Cooper. William Cooper, when I've been looking, is a guy that was involved or has been named as being involved with JFK shooting. Oh, shit. I should probably look that up. But this guy wasn't. He was John William Cooper. Okay. But John Cooper's such a dullard name that they have to give his middle name. They always do. Unfortunately. You need some middle name. I look, well, I was thinking that. Like, when I'm old, will people be like, oh, remember Emma Jane? Who's <laughs> my national? Um, the only time security. my middle name ever is used is um, as a quiz question or a joke <laughs> at school. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. At school, they like the teachers' initials, including the middle name, are like your tutor group name. Oh uh, yeah. So, but no one ever asks what my middle name is. They're just like. So John William Cooper is my guy, and he was a serial killer but wasn't found out to be a serial killer for many, many, many years. The police always had suspicions, and my favourite bit of this is how they worked out. Love a bit of really rock-solid police work. Yeah. They did their job here, and love it. He was born on the 3rd of September, 1944, in New Haven, Pembrokeshire, which is a lovely part of Wales. Mm. Not so lovely when you have four siblings and it takes... Five hours to drive there in a car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? People carrier? Yep, for sure. <laughs> Always stinking up to sick. Oh, gross. But that's where he lived. It's peaceful, it's rural, really lovely coast. Crime wasn't really a big thing, except for the entirety of this guy's life. So he left school, like most people at that time, at 15, and he trained in carpentry and upholstery. I'd love to be a carpenter. Specifically carpenter. Honestly, I think if I could retrain, I'd if I could start my life again, I'd be Aiden from Sex and the City. Like he makes his own furniture, they're so beautiful. I'd love that. And sell it. And I could have my own shop, my dog could sit in the shop all day. It'd be brilliant. That's the dream life. I did not know that about yeah, you. Yeah, honestly. It's not too late. It's too late. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not dropping those wages now. You've got like another, what? 50, I'm getting a TLR. You've got another 50, 60 years of life. So he trained in those things, uh, but he didn't really even like that. That was too much for him. He wanted an even more casual life and he would much rather work as just a casual labourer on farms, not having to put up with the pressures of carpentry. 11th of July, 1966, he married his childhood sweetheart, Aww. which is kind of cute. They knew each other since they were 12 years old. And then he killed her. We did probably slap her about a bit. Um, Patricia. And they had two children, Adrian and Teresa. Um, his son, Adrian, has done interviews since, and he's talked a lot about the abuse that he suffered as a child. He said that his dad was really violent and aggressive, and he first remembers him being particularly violent when he was nine years old. He said that they had an argument because Adrian had refused to put some shorts on. I don't know. Let him be hot. Yeah. Bring out your knees, child! <laughs> I don't see why it's that big of a deal. But they had this was their particular argument. He said that he punched him right in the face. He said he just fought with him like a man. Oh he was just God. laying into him. He said that when he was angry, it was out of control, like frothing at the mouth, like eyes bulging, squaring up to a small child, like using his full adult size and squaring up to this child. I mean, to be fair, he did have a moustache for most of his life. And I'm, I don't <laughs> that want... is not an excuse. I'm not saying it's an excuse. I'm saying it's a red flag. The signs were there. Yeah. If it's not ironic, although I don't really know where the irony is, you always look dumb. Then... Isn't that the ultimate hipster though? Because a beard is very... Because beards are so common now, yeah. aren't they? Gotta find something else. A long... Because you can beard fish people. What's that? Like catfishing, but beard fishing. That's what my dad did to my mum. They got married. Gorgeous, luscious beard. (laughs) Shaved it off. Didn't know who he was. (laughs) My mum always says that. Never marry a man with a beard because you don't know who you've got. You don't know what's under there. Nope. We had a friend who shaved off his beard. We were like, oh, it's not like cute anymore. Exactly. Beard fishing. Get it in Urban Dictionary. Anyway. So he's a dick. He's a massive dick. I was was just going to say, oh, they should really add the moustache to the psychopath test. Do you not think, like, checklist, do you hurt animals, have you ever wanted a moustache for a length of time? Does that apply to women as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I really wanted to, I could probably get a good one. (laughs) So he was living this double life. He was very social in the community. He was a member of the Milford Haven Sea Angling Club. And he would act as an official at the local darts tournaments, which has to be the most unnecessary sporting role. I mean, you throw it and it tells you exactly what point was. <laughs> There's no, was it in? Was it out? No, the dart is showing you exactly what happened. But that's what he did. Adrian also talked about, so on the flip side, Adrian mentioned another time, age 11, when his dad put his shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Oh, God. With it not being loaded. But Adrian, age 11, had no idea oh. of this. And it just shows the level of torment that he was putting on these kids. In 1978, Cooper won a competition in a newspaper, and it was called a Spot the Ball competition. Now, I'm not quite sure what it entails. Spot the ball. Yes, but in what context? Because have you ever had one of those school photographs taken where one lad is dared to just slip a bollock out? (laughs) No! Because it's subtle. You don't realise until after just... I've had a few pictures be ruined by a bollock, just not mine. But... Is this like a school photo? Like on in rows on the, the teachers? Yeah, rows t- on the bleachers, and then one lad is dead to get a bollock out his fly. 
Good God. Spot the ball. Is this when you were younger? Are these your when I was younger. No, uh, no I didn't know that also, was Also, so... He, this this competition's important because he won quite a lot of money. He won £90,000 in the 70s and he won a car. And this the amount of money at the time could have really set him up for life if he'd have saved it, invested it, spent it wisely. But unfortunately, being who he was, he did give a little bit of money away. They went on a lavish holiday and then he just pissed it away on the horses. Like completely gambled it. His children said they didn't feel the benefit. Adrian again mentioned that once the money started to run out, the violence amped up. And he talked about him being bounced off the walls and he was once punched in the back so hard that he broke parts of his spine and he now has 12 screws in his spine. Holy shit. Like intense aggression, intense violence in behind closed doors. Because he didn't really like the pressures of working, preferring the casual work, he'd abandoned his career in upholstery. He wanted to continue to make quick money. He had had a taste for quick money, and that's what he wanted. So he began regularly committing burglaries. His son said that he would go out at night. He had a sawn-off shotgun, as he mentioned, that he'd put up his coat. Well, you're just happy to see me. (laughs) And And would go out. Is he stealing chairs and passing them off as his own? I'm the best carpenter around. (laughs) I made all these chairs in two days. What? You've lost some chairs? Here's one I made earlier. (laughs) It's exactly the same. So, yeah, so he'd put his shotgun in, usually just used as like a threat, and he would go and burgle. Said he would beat his own path through the Pembrokeshire countryside, so he would avoid the roads, and he would have an easy getaway because he was able to slip through little paths that he'd made that people didn't know about. It's also said that he would use curry powder to stop police dogs following him. How? What, just throwing it behind him? Throw it in their face. They'd have to get pretty close then, wouldn't they? Exactly, that's what I mean. Is he just like a little hole in his pocket that it trickles out? Or is he spraying it? You'd think they could follow the scent a lot more easily. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. We're after the curry burglar. (laughs) I mean, it's Pembrokeshire, I don't think that... Even I could do it, I could sniff that out. I could be a sniffer dog if everyone's Mark Curry. <laughs> You'd be a liquor dog. You'd be like, mm. Take him a Exactly. I mean, how racist are these dogs that are like, oh, not following that? <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. So, and he was doing it, so he was regularly committing these burglaries. That was mainly his lifestyle choice. So, December 1985, there was an event that sort of shook the community. There was a Georgian house in Scoverston Park, about 10 miles from Little Haven. And the emergency services attended because locals had reported it being on fire. So the house was home to a brother and sister, Richard and Helen Thomas, and they were considered sort of landed gentry. They had a lot, they were quite well off, but it was sort of old money tied up in things. But they had this lovely, lavish house. So the firemen were able to retrieve the body of Richard Thomas. And when they got his body out of the fire, they saw that it had a wound in his side. And he had only one shoe on. Seemed irrelevant to me before, but it will come back later. He had one shoe on, but his socks, despite his body being badly burned, his socks were intact, suggesting that... Bloody good socks. Bloody good socks, one. Woolen. If you want to walk on coals, those are the ones to do it in. 100% cotton. But also that his shoes had been taken at a later date. His sister Helen's body was then discovered much later. It had... The floor had collapsed and she'd fallen from one floor to the other and been buried. So when her body was found, it was even more burnt. But the post-mortem found lead at the base of her skull. And 
they could conclude that both of the siblings had been shot before the fire. That's probably better. Yeah, definitely. Joan of Arc got it tough. <laughs> Richard had gunshot wounds in the head and the stomach, which was his wound in the side. Helen had been shot in the head whilst being tied up. They had evidence that she'd been bound and gagged. So police believed that whoever had come had arrived thinking Helen was on her own, tied her up, started to go through the house to rob things, and then Richard had arrived, and that's when things had escalated and gone wrong. So he thought, fuck, kill him, burn it. (laughs) Burn it all! So it's a very quick escalation from burglar to double murder that happened. So John William Cooper lived less than a mile away, so the police started doing house-to-house inquiries and, of course, went to his house. And his son told how his dad had just casually said to his family, can you just all say we were together on the night? Because we don't really want the police bothering us. If we can't say where I was, then you know they're going to be investigating me. So let's just pretend. But, of course, they went along with it. He was fucking terrifying. You're not going to say, nah, I'm going to, I'm just going to dob you into the police, dad. <laughs> While he's wearing his back Spiders, yeah. yeah. So he went undetected. That was unsolved. 1989, in May, Cooper had recovered his confidence from committing a double murder and running out of money, he decided to appear on an episode of Bullseye. No. That is like the the show that you've got to have bad teeth to get on. So for anyone who isn't from the UK, Bullseye is a quiz darts show combo. You go on in- it was always on and I never watched it because it was so bloody boring. Yeah, presented by casually racist host. Mm. And so you'd go on in pairs. One of you would throw the darts. One of you would answer the questions. And then if you got through, the other person had to throw the darts. And you'd win like a fridge or a toaster or something. Yeah, like and that. it had that classic line where if you lost, they do, let's see what you could have won. And they tried to make you feel as shit as you possibly could. So they went on there... And the host, Jim Bowen, asked Cooper, oh, I hear you have an unusual hobby. And I was like, shit, he's going to say I murder people. (laughs) But apparently he likes scuba diving. No evidence of it, but he said he did. We'll put, is it up on YouTube? We'll put it on the Facebook page. There's clips of it. So he didn't win, him and his partner. But then when the other team don't win as well, the first team get the opportunity to gamble what they the winnings that they'd already had in order to take the main prize if that makes sense yeah so cooper we know loves to gamble he loves trying to get as much money as he can with as little effort as he can he decided to gamble and lost everything so he was pretty pretty pissed off as you can imagine the mustache was bristling (laughs) so of course he went back to burglaries and the armed robberies And between three and four weeks after, so just under four weeks after his TV appearance, he would go on to commit yet another double murder in the Pembrokeshire countryside. So Peter and Gwenda Dixon were a couple that were on a camping holiday from Oxford. They were on their last day of their holiday and they'd spoken to some other campers saying, we're just going to go for one last walk along the coast before we go home. So after they didn't return, Peter and Gwenda's son had called the campsite worried and they start and the search was started to look for the two people their bodies were found in a wooded area along the coastal walk path and they'd been hidden by a screen of branches so they look at the bodies where they are don't they yeah 
so they can see, you know, the positions of where they fall and sort of get a picture of everything, which normally isn't such a big deal. But because it's a coastal path, one of um, Peter's body was actually dangerously close to the edge of the cliff. And in one of the books said Dangerous that he was... for who? He's dead. Well, for the people trying to look at him. They were going to lose right. it. He said that he was slipping off, oh. basically. So they looked at the bodies. Gwenda had been shot. Her clothes had been removed from the waist down and her top half clothes had just been shoved up. So it was obvious there'd been a sexual assault this time. Peter's body, again, was slipping. So they had to secure him with ropes to a tree. And then crime scene investigators had to wear harnesses and sort of abseil around him to investigate the body. Which seems so extra. Yeah. If you're going to have to tie the body to a tree, you've already, you know change the crime scene just move him yeah, you might take well a just... picture we will not move like there was some real pedant who was like we must examine it in this position so that's what they did they found that peter had been shot three times with a sean sawn off shotgun at close range so he was a mess he was shot in the back chest and head and gwenda had been shot twice in the back and chest so presumably they shot them once then when they fell over shot the side again police discovered that their belongings had just been strewn everywhere so the backpack had obviously been searched and he just thrown the things around and his wallet had been taken so again it was just a robbery was the motive and it had ended absolutely horrifically Surely that is a bad idea, because who walks around with a ton of money anyway? I mean, chances are... I've never they're walked... camping, one. They're camping in Wales. Yeah. yeah, they're not rich. They're not. That's not even glamping. You can't glamp in Wales. <laughs> so the only evidence that they had at the time was a photo fit that someone had put together uh, from a man who was seen using Peter Dixon's bank card in the town. So it was a guy, polo shirt, shorts, sort of shaggy hair that's all really they had to go on so cooper really felt like he was just untouchable now he'd just been murdering assaulting robbing and no one was catching him so he just continued what he was doing in 1996 he committed another violent crime there were five teenagers the youngest was 14 there was one that was 16 the rest were all 15 years old and they had gone for a walk out in the countryside they were hanging around in a field and they were approached by a man shining a light in their face wearing a balaclava and carrying the sawn off shotgun he ordered all the teenagers like get down on the ground put your faces down and then he started picking out the girls <gasps> oh god so he took one girl away to the side and was yelling at the others you know don't look at us don't look don't look and he raped her. He then, when he took her back, went round, had a look. Oh, there's another girl. And he sexually assaulted her. He then said to them all, give me your money. I mean, they're 15, five 15-year-olds. They don't have any money. Yeah, what have they got? He's just walked across them and decided, what can I do here? What can I get I- out of this? They wouldn't even have iPhones then, would they? No. So Thank he you. just fired some shots in the air and then left. <sighs> I mean, that's the most horrendous. Those teenagers suddenly had gone from, you know, idyllic, playing in the fields, we're having an amazing time, to we've been raped and there's been a gun and, oh my God, what the fuck do we do? Yeah. That's going to change all of their lives. Yeah. From that moment. Although Cooper had fired the shots and said, don't tell anyone, the kids ran home and they immediately phoned the police. But Cooper was not arrested or charged with the crime. But in 1996, the same year, Cooper was eventually arrested and charged, but with 30 counts of burglary and an armed robbery. 
So police had been carrying out Operation Huntsman because basically they were in this quiet little countryside town, but they were plagued with robberies constantly. Like this wasn't what should be happening. There's obviously someone who was just going mad. Yeah. So they arrested Cooper and when they searched his house, they found 530 keys in his home. So he'd burgled hundreds of houses and every time would take a key as a little trophy. Or he's got a lot of double glazed windows. I have <laughs> I have a bunch of keys that's got about twenty keys on it have you for used every it? single window lock in my house. Have you it's ever insane. Used any? No, they're always unlocked. Yeah, who locks their windows? You can't open from the outside anyway. Exactly. Nobody needs these keys. When your heart desperate for air the last thing you need to do is search around a bunch of 30 almost identical <laughs> tiny keys to open your window i'd rather smash it with a chair i'd rather carpent a chair and smash the window than have to figure out which of those keys unlocks it um, so he was found guilty of all of those counts and in 1998 was sentenced to 10 years in prison the police did suspect him of being the person who carried out the murders too they had several things in common. The burglaries, the robberies, the armed robberies, the murders. It was all a guy with a sawn-off shotgun who was going to women on their own. The only ones where it wasn't women on their own were the two cases that ended in murder. So they were pretty sure, but it was all circumstantial. Yeah. So they set up another operation. Good. This one was Operation Ottawa. <laughs> they opened up a cold case review in 2006 of the two double murders. And in two, so they were trying to find some forensic evidence, basically something that would actually say it was him, yeah, for sure. And they were trying to find DNA evidence, and it got to two thousand and eight, and they still didn't have anything solid. So they knew he was going to be released. So they took four days to interview him while he was still in prison, and they could get their hands on him, and the hope that he'd say something that could just get them to keep him locked up. The one thing that he did say is that he was quite concerned about the shotgun, which had been used as evidence in the burglaries. They had it. They'd said, this is what he's used to hold people up with. And he was concerned and wanted to be sure that the judge had put a destruction order on it. It'd been 10 years now. He wanted the the evidence should have been destroyed. I've been convicted of it. Get rid of it. Luckily, the judge hadn't done that. In January 2009, Cooper was released but the police continued to watch him because they were still investigating the cold case and they were determined to have him back. They started to then, they sort of got over the DNA thing for a while and they were like, right, we're going to look at fibres now. And they started to use, they said take, I thought it was going to be something a little bit more scientific, but there's literally a woman with some masking tape jamming it on a <laughs> pair of shorts. Like, I'm getting fibres. <laughs> like me every morning trying to get rid of the dog hair. Yeah, she's just taping shorts. <laughs> so there was a pair of Cooper shorts that they had. They had, And so they were taping them to find fibres. And while they were doing it, they found the tiniest speck of blood. Like, absolutely minuscule. And it was 20 years old. A 20-year-old oh speck of blood... And it was Peter Dixon's. No way. I think that's like magic tricks. Because how, like how do you, even if you've got a load of samples, how do you even find blood within that? Do you have to... How fucking long does blood stay in clothes? I mean, you hear jokes about how tricky it is to get blood out of things, but 20 years for a speck was still clinging on. Yeah. So now they had, Cooper has definitely been involved with Peter Dixon. They know within one in a billion that that's Peter Dixon's blood. They've got it. Yeah. They then found more evidence. He'd been banging on about this gun, wanting to make sure it was destroyed, so they started to look at it. Cooper had painted the barrel of his gun black, presumably because he's 
nighttime shootings, didn't want people to see it. He'd pimped his shotgun and sequins on the edge. So they started infringing on the bottom. So they started to take scrapings of the paint off the gun, and when they did that, they found that DNA from blood had basically been preserved underneath the paint. Again, that belonged to Peter Dixon. That's cool. That is, I mean, although a look. how shit was his cleaning skills? Like, oh, there's blood all over my gun. Couldn't possibly wipe it. Just paint it. <laughs> like, if you spill something on the floor, retile. <laughs> although I'm a bugger for that. Luke's like, got to do it properly. Wash the wall and then paint it. Nah, just slap some emulsion on. You do that with rented houses, don't you? Like, when you mo- when I used to move into a new rented place, they'll, they'll be like, yeah, we'll get it cleaned. We'll just paint the walls. Okay. <laughs> They wanted to connect him. So now they had him with the Dixon murder, but they wanted to connect him to the photo fit of the man using the bank card to prove that he'd done the robbery. So as well as the shorts, so the photo fit was had this man wearing shorts, which were, and I've seen the photographs, they look exactly like, I mean, they're green cargo shorts that... That's not the common, but they're the same style. Yeah. As well as this, they also went to his bullseye episode because as it was just a few weeks before the murder, they had then exactly what he would have looked like at the time of yeah. the murder. So they went to his episode and basically had a screenshot of him standing in the same position as the photo fit. And I mean, it's tenuous, but the profile is a pretty good side by side match. I was impressed. Well done, photo fit man. In May 2009, He was arrested for murder. They had found more and more and more evidence was coming up now. So they'd found rope and gloves and a map in his car when they went to arrest him. So they were like, okay, he was obviously going to try and do things again. Or, I mean, that is kind of just prepared. Yeah, you don't really need rope. Do you rope to tow? Tow rope? And you don't want to get rope burn. It's different kinds of rope. If it's tow rope, fine. If it's murder rope, not fine. So when they had arrested him, they took him into interview and they showed him the pair of shorts and the photo fit. And they were saying, right, do you think these look the same? And he was like, no, of course not. <laughs> They're totally different. Um, they were saying, but these are your shorts, aren't they? Def- they belong to you. And he said, yes, they are mine. They belong to me for certain. I bought them. They're mine. But he said that they don't match the photo because these are short shorts and the ones in the photo are long shorts. And who wears short shorts? So the police were like, oh, challenge accepted. They looked at the hem of the shorts and saw that they'd actually been taken up. So undid the hem of the shorts and were like, yeah, these like, are long shorts. When they'd done it in the hem of the shorts, because obviously it then just released it. was a note saying, I did all the murders. That would have been amazing. <laughs> but it was DNA from Julie Dixon who was Peter and Gwenda's daughter. So there's no way that he would have their daughter's DNA in his shorts unless they were Peter Dixon's shorts. Oh, yeah. So he had gone, presumably through his rucksack, been like, these are nice. And not only thought... These are nice, but a little bit long. (laughs) Yeah, these are nice, a little bit long, but I'm going to put them on straight away to go to the bank machine. Like, I don't want people to be suspicious. I'm going to dress like Peter. I'm going to disguise myself. Because people only look at the shorts. <laughs> what kind of disguise is that? If you walked in wearing someone else's trousers, I wouldn't be like, who is this? <laughs> yeah. That's the worst bit. To, like maybe a t-shirt, maybe a hat. The shorts. That's not how you identify people no. by any means. But he'd done it. He'd stolen Peter Dixon's shorts, put them on, gone to pretend to be him, and kept them 
customized them again. <laughs> like, it just reminds me of, because I was thinking how bizarre is that you would identify someone that way. But we've just been doing in class about Edward Lear, who, you know, the poet wrote, made limericks really popular. And there was one thing that we were looking at about him and it was saying that people didn't believe that Edward Lear was Edward Lear because he was such a talented artist. He was famous for like his natural drawings of birds and things. Like you can't be this poet. So the way he proved it was he showed them the inside of his hat where he'd written his own name in it. <laughs> That's not yeah, good evidence. <laughs> so, well, I've got this hat. So... You can write anything in a hat. Yeah. You can wear anybody's shorts. So they had the case for the murder of the Dixons pretty much on lockdown now. But they wanted to make sure he was going away for life, that they had closure, that people were vindicated. So they needed evidence for other crimes. I love this as well. So this is cool as well. So they'd at the time of his arrest in 1996, they'd gone round his house and things like that, and they'd been to his shed, and they'd taken some, they'd swept up some bits of like dust and crap and things from his shed. Like this might come in handy. It did. So this like this like bag of dust and crap from his shed from 1996. In there, they found some fibres that matched some gloves and a balaclava that they'd found abandoned, like discarded in some hedges near his house. So the fibres, so that just shows like he threw his gloves away. Fine. But the fibres from those gloves that were in his shed were found in the underwear of the rape victim. No. They were also found sewn into the hem of the shorts. And then fibres from the pockets of the shorts had been linked to fibres that were found on the socks of Richard Thomas from the first double murder. When he nicked his shoe! (laughs) This must be the most organised police department ever. They're amazing! Compared to... Oh, sorry, we lost that evidence that you get all of the time. These guys are categorising, logging, drawing a big tree of where they found everything. Amazing! Making a murder that, yeah, we may or may not have contaminated this blood. They're like, we found a 20-year-old speck of blood and we know it is you. (laughs) We found a fibre in your pocket and we found it on his sock! His sock from a murder that took place 30 years ago! It's... I love it. It shows how ridiculous Cooper was. I mean, change the fucking gloves. Yeah. He's been using the same murder gloves. Like, surely once you've done a murder wearing a pair of gloves, you don't want to be associated with them anymore. So basically, he's just wearing the same gloves his whole life. <laughs> Invest. That was back in the day when you didn't have throwaway fashion. You I stuck with know. that shit. Treat yourself. Treat yourselves to some new gloves and a balaclava. You've got children. Buying for your dad for Christmas is so difficult. Surely they'd have thought, what does dad love? He's always wearing that bloody balaclava. Get him a new one. It happened. He protested his innocence the whole time. Completely denied any involvement. Absolutely anything. He said it was a conspiracy. They were trying to make things fit to him. It wasn't him. He even went so far as to say, well, my son used to borrow my clothes all the time. It's probably him. Fuck you! Like he's beaten that kid up all his life and now he's like, yeah, he did a murder. Ridiculous. So his trial began in 2011. It lasted over eight weeks. And the deliberation from the jury took three days. Why? You did it. There was a lot of fibres, love. You'd, maybe they were just going, this police work's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they just <laughs> going pouring through. Standing ovation for five weeks. <laughs> but he was found guilty on all of the charges. The two double murders, the rape and the assault. And he was given life meaning life. So Is this gone. from your book, Life Meaning Life Again? It's not, actually. You bloody love that I book. I love that book. It's not from there. I found this. How did I find this? 
Oh, I found this because I put UK crime documentary into YouTube. Just peek behind the curtain here of Slaughter. And then there is a, oh shit, do you want to know the book? There is a book called The Pembrokeshire Murders, Catching the Bullseye Killer by Steve Wilkings. It's really interesting. I'd definitely give it a read. And that's that. Okay, so today's episode wouldn't pass the Bechdel test because I'm doing a man as well. Do what the Bechdel test is. Oh, uh Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I don't. If it's a TV or audio or radio or whatever, something that you're putting out, you have to have, to pass the Bechdel test, you have to have two female char- named characters, which we are. Well done. Um, they need to talk to each other, not just to men, which we are, but they have to talk about something that's not men, which we're not. Oh. Unless we count it as we're talking about true crime, then we, we are, because there's no men. We're the most feminist thing ever. We're either the most feminist or the least feminist. Well, it's on my t-shirt, so... Emma is wearing a t-shirt that just says feminist. It's amazing. My boobs are so woke. (laughs) So I'm going to be looking at uh, quite an old one. Um, Albert Burroughs. Albert Edward Burroughs, to be precise. Darling. Got to get that middle name in there. So he was born in (laughs) Cheadle Hume in 1871. And as a young man, he worked in casual farm labour jobs. He just did casual work. You couldn't upholster shit. Nope. Couldn't even make you a stool. He moved to Glossop in 1914. So this is around the start of the First World War. Yep. Yep. And he married a young woman and together they had a son. There's not a lot of other history about him. Boring, um, isn't he? Pretty boring. So, until... That's where the murder comes in. If your life's that boring, you've got to shake it up. Yeah. Then there'll be loads of shit about you. So there's not a lot of history other than he did do a lot of stealing. So he had a criminal record and he had some criminal records for animal cruelty so oh. it's a bit of a warning isn't it that's a big one and he he's going to be a horrible one I have no specifics but he's he's got a record for animal so I understand as a farmer when you employ a casual labourer you're like look 
I don't care about your past. You might have a criminal record. You can come and work for me. But if you've been cruel to animals, <laughs> you want them to work on your farm. It's a bit far. But I want you to milk them, not cut the udders off. During World War One, he works in an ammunition factory. So he got a, a long-term job. And at this job, he met and became involved with Hannah Calladine. Now, he was 47 years old and she was 28 years old. And they began a secret relationship. Now, he didn't tell her about his wife. They had a child together, and they also called that child Albert Burroughs. She already had a child from another man. He's not making any real effort, is he? He's like, I'm going to have a secret child, but I'm going to name him exactly after me. (laughs) Now, if anyone comes knocking, like, why is your kid called Albert Burroughs? Why has your kid got my husband's actual name? (laughs) Not because I have sex with your husband, it's just... (laughs) It's just coincidence. So he married her to make her a legit mother to his child but it was bigamously because he was still married to his first wife who was still seeing that would be creepy because my mum sometimes says that she'll be like have you ever she'll be like sometimes I see a person and I think if she looks like you I'm like shit your dad had another kid (laughs) he didn't but (laughs) they're together they're fine but she does say sometimes she stares they look so much like one of my other children that I'm like he's got a second family so your mum needs but some this, counseling but these guys could have it like this is genuine she could have just spotted their half her son's half sibling yeah called Albert Burroughs yeah at school with her kid oh, turns out we're related you don't know how close so he told Hannah that his wife had died and his child was being cared for by a housekeeper which was why um, he got away with this for so long so, during the war, Burroughs sent money to both of his wives because he had this steady job. He was working in the ammunition factory. Then the war ended. Oh, now I'm going to have no job. How inconvenient for him. People don't want bullets to shoot other people in the face anymore. <laughs> this is just not working out for me. <laughs> Hannah guessed that he was lying to her and she was done. Oh, well get... done, Hannah. <laughs> With his secret child being looked don't after. Don't Hannah. Looked after by a housekeeper. What her credentials? She can really make a bed. Give her your child. Yeah, people did shit like that though, didn't they? I they were like, send her away. Yeah, it's not Hannah's fault. She was totally beguiled by him and the fact that... I mean, he married her, to be fair. It's not like she was a mistress forever. Yeah. She's going to believe it. He's done all the things. She got that He ring. named her child after him. That I think it's stupid that he did that, but for her, you would have no suspicions yeah, at that point. Yeah, he put a ring on it. They had a baby. It's got a legit name. So it's she... It's not called Basti McBastard Face. <laughs> yeah. She found out from writing to his first child... That she that he had a wife and that she was number two. How's the housekeeper? Do you mean mother? <laughs> Do you mean my mum who's still alive? And uh, Burroughs was sent to prison for bigamy for six months. So she reported him and got him locked up. You'd think his other wife would be suspicious. I don't know. Unless she just wanted rid of him. He's out the house. Whippy. Maybe. So he was also sent back to prison shortly after his release because uh, the court also ruled that he had to pay Hannah some money and he stopped paying her. So he got sent back again. So Burroughs decided that he was not down for having to pay money every month to both of these women because they had his children. He should have considered that before he married two women. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one benefit. I mean, obviously, Lucy's getting married, so out of... I don't have many friends, but they're all getting married. (laughs) And so I know how expensive 
weddings are now which is frustrating because it seems insane but it puts a stop to this if he had to pay 10 grand for a wedding venue (laughs) he definitely wouldn't have done it twice so he decided that the solution to his problem was at first to visit hannah and little albert and convince them to move in in glossop with him and his wife well if you can make it work i guess it seems like a nice option if, he's gonna have to pay for them both. They're all there. Should we all just get along? Well, won't somebody think of the children? <laughs> so she took Albert and her older daughter and turned up on the doorstep, having been invited by him. And obviously, his wife was like, his first wife was like, no thanks. I'm not having this woman and her child called Albert in my house. How awkward would that be? So she noped out. She left in the morning. She was like, not having that. Um, they should. What they should do is the two women should be like, right. We're doing this commune style. Kick out <laughs> Albert Senior and just do it as like... Hannah stayed at the house for three weeks. She then... Well, she couldn't hack it either. Disappeared. Oh. oh. Did you forget what podcast this was? I did a little bit. I thought it was <laughs> Sister Wives. I got really... So on the 11th of January, 1920, Burroughs went for a walk with Hannah and his son to Simon Lee Moore. And up there, he murdered both Hannah and the son and he threw their bodies down a 105 foot air shaft to an abandoned coal mine the next day he also took Hannah's daughter Elsie who was only a little bit older than Albert Albert was still a baby at this point and Elsie was about three did the same to her so he had an extra day with Elsie now I don't know what he did with Elsie but I dread to think given what we find out later probably so for three years no one had any suspicions. Burrow's wife moved back in. He basically told her they'd broken up, she'd gone and she'd got a job and he, she was sending her children to a crash while she was at work. So he had this story of like how she was getting shit done, making it on her own. He destroyed uh, most of her belongings, but he also sold some of them and he sold the wedding ring that he'd given to her as well. Right, we're going to jump to the story of Thomas Wood now. Now, Thomas Wood, as a young child, lived at 96... Back Kershaw Street, Glossop. Imagine if you're listening to this podcast and that was your address though. <laughs> like really freaked out on you. So he left the house on Sunday the 4th of March 1923. And he didn't return for lunch. Usually he would have returned at some point. But it wasn't completely out of character. However, by evening he hadn't come back. People started to get worried. He was four years old. Out for the day. Four years old. Like, oh, he's not popped back for lunch. Where do they think he is? At his grandma's house. Grown up enough now. <laughs> Three years old, you start to walk on your own. Four years old, it's basically you. <laughs> That's it. Live your own life. Yeah. Do you, Thomas. <laughs> you do you. Uh, his parents phoned the police and they began a search and loads of volunteers joined in. Um, loads of people offered to help. Someone reported having seen the young boy with two older boys by the river so people started thinking maybe something's happened at the river maybe he's fallen in they got dogs that were taken um, to sniff for bodies they didn't find anything they drenched the river so they like dragged things through to see if they could find anything they found absolutely nothing Uh, the whole community obviously was devastated everyone was up in arms everyone was looking saturday march 10th burrows our man gave a statement saying he had seen the boy on the day of the murder And he said he'd asked Thomas to go home with him, but Thomas had said no. Why are we treating Thomas like an adult? He's barely sentient. He's 
late 50s, I think. And he's saying to this four-year-old, do you want to hang out? Like, how is that not a weird thing to tell the police? And no one battered an eyelid at that. Do you want to come home with me? No, I'm all right. Thomas is like the coolest kid in the village. Everyone's like, yeah, we all know Thomas. I went for a beer with him last week. <laughs> yeah. So I asked him and he said, yes. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. He also described a person that Thomas had had in very clear detail of the day. Now, the police continued investigating and they found the purse, but they believed that it had been planted. So they started to get quite suspicious. They'd also found the print of a rubber boot that belonged to um, a local person there, but the Burroughs had asked to borrow on that day. Wait, Burroughs had asked to borrow somebody's wellies? Yeah. Because he's not buying it. Well, you worked on a farm. Get your own fucking wellies. Sorry. I'm so angry about borrowing wellies. You shouldn't borrow. Like, I feel like wellies are quite a personal thing. They interviewed Burroughs again. And he was asked about the fact that a woman had seen a man and small boy walking near the old coal mine. A farm worker had also spoken to Burroughs that day and he said he'd seen a small boy with him. This is what happens if you live in a very small community and you do a murder. And four-year-olds are sent out to work as like... Yeah, people people talk to people. If you are recognisable in a certain area, that's not the place that you should be doing murders. Unless you wear balaclava. Yeah, and it's like you're invisible. Nobody cares then. So Burroughs gave a story of walking with Thomas through the fields and leaving him in the hollow of a tree. And then while he went to go catch a rabbit. I mean, it sounds like something from Winnie the Pooh. So he's telling this story to the police. He's like, I've done nothing wrong. All I did was borrow a four-year-old child, stash him in a tree, and then leave him. Yeah. Like, don't blame me if he got murdered. I just (laughs) hide children in foliage. Basically. And also, the hollow of a tree is not like some lovely storybook. It is jaggedy on the inside and full of bugs. It's grim as fuck. But no one wants to be sitting in hollows of trees. He's probably the one that put Rockabye Baby on the treetop. And when the wind blow, that cradle fucking fell down. That's Thomas Burroughs. He's like, I just put children in precarious situations. Don't blame me when they fall yeah, and what, die. What of it? So they went back to search for more clues and they discovered the old air shaft locally. And the shaft wasn't kept secure. So they thought, you know, it's, it would be a good place to put a body. But also someone could fall down there. So they started to investigate the shaft. But it was really difficult. 105 feet. That is deep. That is really deep. And nine foot of water at the bottom of it as well. So they took grappling irons, they took planks and ropes, and uh, they basically had to lower the policemen in. Mm. But it was really difficult. It took several days even to be ready to do that because they were just local police. I mean, they did send an investigator. It wasn't just you know the the generic Bobby, but it was it was difficult to do. Now they asked as well that Burroughs be watched from afar so they had someone trailing him just to kind of get his reaction to what was going on so he had reportedly grown very agitated after he'd been talking to some people and then he heard that they were searching the air shaft and he started getting really twitchy and weird Um, and then he went and he hid in the bushes to watch the the operation happen so he's he's watching them without being seen but then they're watching him without being seen now, the police soon discovered the small body of Tommy Wood at the bottom of the well. Then just stopped looking. They oh. pulled that out. So, they found what they were looking for. The investigator called for Burroughs to be arrested. But the crowd... He was in the hollow of a tree. <laughs> it's too busy. So, the crowd 
because he wasn't right there, he's in the bushes, the crowd just started chasing him. There's a crowd that had come to see the whale. They started legging it after him. He ran up the hill. Apparently it was really exciting for all the villagers. Obviously they've been really upset about this kid. Now they've got someone to blame. Angry mob straight wow. after him. He started gra- going up the hill. They grabbed him and they handed him over the police. Now there's two stories here. You'd punch him in the face first, wouldn't you? Well, Burroughs made accusations... You'd give him a really good kick <laughs> yeah. before you gave him over. Burroughs made accusations that he'd been punched and hit with sticks, but um, police found no witnesses for this. Although some accounts say that the mob were trying to hang Burroughs from a tree when the police caught up with them and stopped yeah. it. I think I'm going to go with the second story. So they were legit angry. They wanted, you know, they wanted him dead. Now, news spread across the community. The boys ran back into town. They were shouting out, they catched him! They catched him! Um, and yeah, they, an angry mob joined outside the police station waiting for him to be brought down so they could start booing and hissing and throwing stuff at him as well. I mean, they turned on him. Now, the inspector was still suspicious and he asked Burroughs about what had happened to Hannah Callandine and her child. And he came out with a story of her and her son visiting. So they broke up, but she moved away. But they came back to visit and they all played together on the moor. Now, he was literally asking them straight after he'd been brought into the police station and the mob had been attacking him. So he was quite shaken up anyway, but he just came out with all this crap. I mean, it was clearly horseshit. And the inspectors started making inquiries about Hannah and her children. Now, if they'd not just pulled everything out of that air shaft straight away... They might have been a little bit quicker in terms of finding what had happened to Hannah and the kids. But they'd obviously gone, there's the body, job done. Time continued and stories of Burroughs spread around local areas. He was obviously under arrest being held. Uh, People started saying he was a giant. He was so strong. The police were really scared of him. But he was also irresistible to women. It was all bullshit. He was distinctly average at best. 62. Some people oh, yeah, said he's old, isn't he? Yeah, some people said he was all right looking, but that was the best that he got. He was taken to Strange Ways in Manchester, which um, have you have you seen Strange Ways? Yeah, it's quite imposing, isn't it? it? Kind of towers over the city, and it soon transpired from the evidence that Tommy had also been subject to sexual abuse before being put into the well as well. Oh. So obviously, the public were just throwing a dash of pedo at the same time (laughs) yeah so and he died from drowning that's why i was kind of a little bit like oh elsie had a day with him what the hell was he doing so the anger increased everyone hated him he was sent to derby on a charge of murder that'll do it send him to derby i know yeah (laughs) yeah that's worse than prison so people continued to visit the scene of the crime out of morbid curiosity. Morbidly looking at a murder out of interest. Just shouting down the well, aren't they? <laughs> they threw stones down the well, which wasn't very useful. And Hannah went, ow! <laughs> it made it a lot more difficult for investigators later on because obviously people had been up there messing and around. buried them with pebbles. And it's 105 foot deep, so you've got to drag stuff a, a really long way to get it out they finally contacted hannah's family who said they hadn't seen her for years it'd been three years now since she'd last visited them and they realized that probably burroughs had something to do with this so on the 7th of may police began bailing water out of the air shaft so they went back there and thought this would probably be a good place progress was really slow and it was raining as well so the amount of water they're they're taking out and it's coming back in i just imagine that as a little cartoon in a newspaper so they got a steam pump and installed that in the shaft and it made it a lot faster 
Now, the police discovered human remains. They found a complete female adult in sections when they got all the bones out. A girl of four years. Now, that would be Elsie. And an infant. These were identified as Hannah because she had an abnormal eye tooth. Eye tooth? Yeah. I did... A tooth in her eye? That's what I thought, but I think it's just... Or a type of tooth in your mouth. Yeah. It's called an eye tooth. Also, one of the child... One of the children had clogs that had survived and they were recognised. I mean, they're bloody good shoes, clogs, aren't they? They reckon they're underwater for three years. (laughs) Still going. I love a clog. Can't drive in them, though. It's too wooden. You can't feel the pedals. So, do you have clogs? I've got some really cute clogs. I'm going to give a shout out now. I rarely do this, but Lotta from Stockholm is in a website and they do. No. No, I had a whole period where I was obsessively trying to buy clogs. But I got some really nice ones from Lotta at Stockholm. You're not going to sell clogs to me. I'm really sorry. They haven't got the top bit. They're just basically they're wooden bottom shoes. So you just bought wooden shoes? Yeah. So, due to the investigations, the evidence against Burroughs was absolutely overwhelming and actually quite ahead of its time in that they'd actually put a lot of effort into finding exactly who'd done it. For a change. Yeah. <laughs> so, Burroughs was only charged with Hannah and um, his son Albert's murders and he was tried in Derby, but more because they got the verdict from that so they didn't have to bother with the other ones. So, he received the death penalty. He was hanged at Bagthorpe Jail, which is now Nottingham Prison. And hundreds of people gathered outside the prison, waiting to hear the bell that was told, signalling that someone had been hanged. So they weren't allowed to watch it, but they did listen out for the bell. Now, the executioner had also hanged Dr. Crippen, famous case. And he was a barber from Rochdale who did executions on the side. It's a bit of a side name. So, Alba Burroughs finally got his comeuppance i think it's interesting that a lot of these cases we do find interlinks like so and so was at broadmoor at the same time as this other criminal and they yeah. made friends i think eventually when we've been doing this for like i don't know a bit longer we could do a big we'd map. be able to put yeah we'd be able to put together a sick mind map yeah it'd be beautiful <laughs> that's such a teacher thing to think isn't it okay so that is albert burroughs and concept was... map that's what they call it where concept. you do the links love it so thanks for listening to episode 27 Oh shit, I'm losing my <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 27 of Slaughter. Um, if you'd like to catch us on social media, you can. You can get on Twitter at Slaughter the Pod. You can go to Facebook where we have a Facebook group, Slaughter True Crime. That's kind of cool. And also, if you want to email us, you can do at Slaughter the Podcast at gmail.com. Also, the way, the best ways that you can support the podcast are to rate, review, subscribe. Now we're on four star average on the UK. If you could rate, if if you rate or review in the UK, that would really make a difference to us. Five stars, obviously. Also, you can buy T-shirts. Um, if you go on the Facebook group, you've got links on there, and that will financially support us. And you can become a Patreon subscriber that supports us, and you get perks for that as well. We're going to get some special episodes out to you. Um, they might be a little bit late this month, but we're thinking of something that might be quite full. So that is patreon.com forward slash slaughter the podcast, I think. So if you listen to this episode, it doesn't make you a psycho at all. But if you hide children in the hollow of a tree, then I think you probably are. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.